You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. My name is Eric Bonkowski. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. And most weeks at City Church, I'm very glad that we don't have any projectors or any screens in the sanctuary because I think it's good in this hour for us to not have uh, our eyes glued to a screen. So much of our lives are focused on that. But occasionally there are weeks where I wish we did have the opportunity of projection. Uh, And this is one of those weeks because I'm going to talk about a photo uh, and I wish I could put it up on the screen, but then I realized you can, you can just Google it, either after the service or right now. I'm not going to know, right? It's, uh, there's a famous photo from over 50 years ago, and it's called uh, the Kiss of Life. Just Google Kiss of Life photo, you'll see it. Um, but it tells a story, and it tells a story of rescue. It was in 1967, and a man named Randall Champion was a telephone utility worker, and he was up on the top of a pole finishing up some work. And accidentally, he came into contact with a low-voltage wire. And the shock of that accidental touch uh, knocked him unconscious. And he was uh, suspended from this pole just by his harness. And he was leaning all the way backwards. Uh, He wasn't breathing. He was unconscious, as I said before. Fortunately, one of his co-workers, uh, who had already descended the pole, uh, noticed what had happened, looked up and saw his co-worker dangling from this pole. And this man, J.D. Thompson, uh, climbed back up the pole with his harness and he uh, saw his friend who was not breathing, didn't have a pulse. And because he was suspended the way he was, leaning backwards from this telephone pole, it wasn't possible for him to give any chest compressions. And so he did the only thing he could do to help him. He gave him mouth to mouth. And he uh, continued to breathe air into uh, his friend's lungs until his pulse returned and he started breathing again. And they were able to uh, then get help and uh, go down the pole and the, the man survived. Um, it's this powerful picture of rescue in giving mouth to mouth and providing this kiss of life as it was later called. Uh, he rescued his friend and saved his life. It just happened that there was a photographer shooting in the area, and when he saw all of this happening, he took several photos, and that, that photo went on to win a number of prizes because it so powerfully told this story of rescue. You know, I've been sharing a lot of these different stories of rescues this winter as we've begun looking at the book of Exodus. And I said a few weeks ago, and I think this is important, the reason that these stories resonate with us isn't um, because um, we, we identify with the experience of dangling off a telephone pole or being stuck in a well or being lost in a cave for two weeks. The reason we resonate so powerfully with these stories of rescue is that deep down, we know that spiritually, we all need to be rescued. We all long for it. We all know that it's true of us as well. 
And we're going to see that again today as we look in on the life of the Israelites and their slavery in Egypt. So I'm going to read from Exodus chapter 6 today, the very end of chapter 5 and then chapter 6 up through verse 13. So these words are printed in your worship guide, or if you have a Bible, open your Bible and follow along as I read God's word for us. Here's what it says, starting in chapter 5, verse 22. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I didn't make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Father, we ask now by your spirit that you would breathe life into these words written so long ago. At the same time, you would breathe life into our hearts, especially the places that feel weighed down, dead or dying. Father, as we consider your word today, may we see Christ in all of his glory as our Savior and as our friend. We pray this in his name. Amen. So this afternoon, what I want to talk about is uh, just two things. I want to talk about our broken spirits, and I want to talk about God's rescue breathing. So first, let's talk a little bit about our broken spirits. If you're like me, the, as I read this passage today, as I read these verses, your eyes stuck on one verse in particular. It's verse 9. When I read this passage for the first time, I couldn't get past verse 9 and the way that it describes the condition of the Israelites. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they didn't listen to Moses 
because of their broken spirit and their harsh slavery. I think it's the center of this uh, section in Exodus 6 in many ways. That Israel won't listen to Moses. And in not listening to Moses, what we're meant to understand by that is that they're not listening to God. Because Moses is God's mouthpiece, God's prophet. And so if they're not listening to Moses, they're not listening to God. And listening, listening here really means trust. It means belief. It means faith, doesn't it? So it says that Israel isn't listening to Moses. Well, they're not listening to God. They're not trusting God. You've had a conversation with someone at some point in your life, I'm sure, where they were hearing the words you were saying, but they didn't believe a word that you were saying. Drives you a little crazy. That's how Moses felt. He's taking this message that he's received from God and he's faithfully reporting it to the people of Israel, but they're just not buying it. but then we're told why they're not buying it, why they can't listen, why they can't trust. And we're told that they have broken spirits and they've suffered under harsh slavery. Robert Alter is a Hebrew scholar and he has a translation of the Old Testament. And I love how he translates this verse. We hear broken spirit and that resonates a little bit, but Alter says that they suffered with shortness of breath. I like it because that's a concrete image. We can imagine what it's like to to not be able to inhale, to not be able to breathe. It's not a feeling that we want. But it's this concrete image that pictures their condition, the Israelites' conditions, as slaves in Egypt, under hard labor, carrying bricks, armfuls of bricks, loads and loads of bricks, And they're out of breath because of this hard work. They're out of breath and their spirits are broken. Many years ago, about 20 years ago, I I had a part-time job for a couple of seasons where I was coaching JV girls basketball. And I was still young enough at the time that I thought I could sort of keep up with them, especially during conditioning drills. And I still remember this one time where we, I, I took them through this uh, conditioning drill and I was so out of breath afterwards that I couldn't even speak. We needed to like huddle up and have a team meeting. I, ne- I needed about five minutes just to recover my breath. I never felt so old and out of shape. We know what that's fe- that feeling is like and that was every day for the Israelites. Physically, out of breath, under this harsh slavery, and spiritually. Crushed. Crushed. Where in your life today is your spirit broken? Where do you feel unable to draw in a deep breath that would give you life? Where have you been left with a shortness of breath? I've been reading this book with a, a few other people. It's called A Praying Church. It's written by a man named Paul Miller, and he says at one point in that book, he says, life drains faith. I think that's the case for all of us, right? For all of us, the life that we live in this world, in this time, it's draining from us faith and it's zapping our spirits. It's making us feel short of breath. 
give you a few examples of that. Many of you in here are parents with young children. And that season of life has a tendency to crush spirits. You might find yourself saying, maybe you said earlier today, I, I feel like I can't, I can never catch my breath. I'm going from one thing to the next, one responsibility to the next. I'm always weary, I'm always exhausted. I need a vacation and then I need a vacation from my vacation. That's the experience of your spirit being broken, exhausted and weary. Here's another example and this one's more the harsh slavery part talked about this last week. This is those places in your life where you feel enslaved by sin. And this could be your sin or it could be the experience of living in a world that is under the grip of sin, under the curse of sin. Where bad things keep happening, where diagnoses are awful. Where loved ones don't get better. You feel enslaved by that reality or you feel enslaved by your own addictions, your own habits that you thought you would be over by now. It's the harsh slavery, not of the Egyptians, but of Satan, of the evil one, of sin. Here's one final example of what I think this experience of broken spirit can look like for us. And this one actually comes from Moses earlier in the passage. You notice how uh, Moses seems to be angry with God? I think many of us today identify with that. It's our anger. It's our anger with God that has broken our spirits, left us short of breath. It's a disappointment that all the things that we thought God had promised haven't come true. Or they're not coming true fast enough. I met with a a woman this week, and she told me, I'm just so angry with God right now. And I realized in talking with her that I think many of us feel the same thing. Because Christianity is supposed to be such good news, but we look at our lives and we don't see the evidence. Exhaustion, slavery, anger, And all three of these things together leave us gasping for air. Short of breath. The broken spirit. Have you ever had the wind knocked out of you? Maybe playing a sport or you you fall down in the wrong way and the wind gets knocked out of your diaphragm. I couldn't explain it to you medically or uh, scientifically. But it's terrifying, isn't it? You think for that moment that you're, you're going to die. You're gasping for air and then panic and fear begin to set in. That physically is the experience spiritually that's being described for us here in Exodus 6. Israel with their broken spirits. And it's that in their lives and it's that in our lives that prevents us for lis- from listening to God. As I said before, from trusting God. So where in your life today are you not able to listen to God? You're not able to trust God because your broken spirit and the harsh slavery. You know, some of the things that we do instead of listening and trusting is just the same as what the Israelites do, just the same as what Moses do, does. We begin to grumble. 
Moses says at the beginning of the passage, why did you ever send me? What in the world were you thinking, God? Why have you given me this life? Why have you given me this calling? Why have you given me this responsibility? What were you thinking? We grumble against God. And then, closely related to it, we start blame shifting, don't we? We blame other people, and sometimes we even blame God himself. Moses says to God, you haven't rescued us at all. It's your fault, God. You're full of promises in empty unrescue. That's what we end up saying and doing when our spirits are broken. All right, so the second part, though, is God's rescue breathing. It's how God responds. How does God respond to us when our spirits are broken, when we feel the weight of this burden of harsh slavery? Well, God administers spiritual CPR. God resuscitates us. He brings us back to life. He restores our spirit. It's the work that God does. I want to talk about it in a few ways. The first thing I want to point out is is one of my uh, favorite things I've talked about here before, and it's that in, in response to our sin, in response to our broken spirits, the Bible has this little phrase, and it's, but God. In response to human unfaithfulness, but God. In response to human sin, but God. It actually comes up a couple times in this passage. Look in verse 1, chapter 6. Moses grumbling, blame shifting, full of complaints. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do. Friends, that is the hope of the gospel in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our complaint. But God, he speaks into that and he says, now you will see. It's the same thing at the very end of the passage. Again, after we see all of this complaining, all of this uh, pushback to God, all of this lack of trust, verse 13, but the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And here's the thing, but the Lord, what he says in verse 13, it's no different from what he said all along. Why? Well, it's showing us that in the midst of human fickleness, in the midst of our unfaithfulness, God remains unchanged. He remains faithful to his word. He has promised, and he will surely do it. That's the glory of the gospel. It's the beginning of his rescue, of God being faithful to what he has said he will do. Man, if I were God in this situation and Moses came to me with complaint after complaint, right? He's, we've already talked about him as this reluctant hero. He's got all these excuses of why he shouldn't do this work that God has called him to. If I were God, I'd be done with him by now. I'll find someone else. Forget about you. But God doesn't hop and holler. He doesn't scream. He doesn't get mad at Moses. He simply repeats Repeats what he said before. But God. Moses, you're forgetting who I am. You're forgetting that I'm on your side. 
And that, that kind of leads into the other way to see how God works his rescue here. What the shape of God's rescue breathing is. It's these simple words that God goes through with Moses. He says, I am, I have, and I will. Remember those three words. Because they encapsulate the character of God. I am, I have, and I will. Look at verses 2 and 3. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. If you have a broken spirit, if you are having trouble listening to God, if you are having trouble believing, hear this, I am the Lord. He says, I appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty. God is saying, I am God Almighty. The Hebrew phrase there is El Shaddai, which some of you, if you're of my generation, you know that phrase because of an Amy Grant song. El Shaddai. What does it mean? Well, it's translated here, almighty. What it means is sufficiency in the face of our insufficiency. God is saying, I am sufficient when you feel insufficient. I am strong when you feel weak. I am impregnable when you feel oppressed and attacked and burdened. I am. It's the first thing that God says to Moses, but he doesn't stop there. He then goes through this litany of all the things that he has done. He says, I have. This is mostly verses 3 through 5. First, I appeared to Abraham. Verse 4, I established my covenant. Moreover, verse 5, I have heard the groaning of the people. And maybe most importantly, at the end of verse 5, I have remembered my covenant. Right? Because when, when our spirits are broken, when we're under slavery, we feel like uh, we, we forget all of the things that God has done, don't we? So God just calmly and patiently goes through the list. Here's the things that I've done for you, for my people. Here's who I am. Here's what I've done. And then lastly, in verses 6 through 8, God turns. He says, I am, I have, I will. And here he's reminding Moses, he's reminding Israel, he's reminding us of his great promises, of the things that he's already said he would do. Another, again, it's a great list. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery. I will redeem you. I will take you to be my people. And I will be your God. And I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham and your fathers. I am, I have, I will. I'll make you my people. And, and friends, what I want you to see is that this rescue operation of God, it all is pointing forward to Jesus Christ. This I am, I have, I will, it finds its completion in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the incarnation of the I am. It is the character of God physically embodied for us, walking around in the flesh, the one who hears our groaning, the one who knows our groaning personally. 
It all comes through Jesus. Jesus is the one who completes and does the work of all the, the, finally and fully of all the I haves. Jesus is the one that all of these I wills in verses 6 through 8 are pointing forward to. He's the one who redeems. He's the one who rescues. He's the one who makes us finally God's people. Jesus is God coming to the rescue of God's people. And that's what the, the, the passage from Hebrews that Katie read earlier in our service is all about. Right? We, we read the book of Exodus and we see Moses as this great leader. And then in the book of Hebrews it says, you know what, he, uh, Moses was just a servant and Jesus is a son. We have seen one so much greater than Moses, one who is faithful all the way. We have seen Jesus. And you know the crowning work of Jesus, what he did at the end of his ministry? It was the giving of his spirit. Right? Here's, here's the completion. Here's the fulfillment of God's work of rescue breathing. He literally gives us his breath. Breath and spirit, both in Hebrew and in Greek, are the same word. So as Jesus sends us the Holy Spirit, as he sends us the Spirit, he is giving us our breath back. We, short of breath, we with broken spirits are healed through the giving of the Spirit. There's this great scene at the end of John's Gospel. This is after the crucifixion, it's after the resurrection. Christ's followers, his friends, his disciples, they're all uh, afraid. They're panicked. They probably feel like their spirits have been crushed. He shows up in a room with them. And it's this odd phrase. It says in John 20, verse 22, that Jesus breathed on the disciples and gave them his spirit. He literally gets close to them and breathes on them to restore their spirits, to give hope to those who are despairing, to give freedom from shame and guilt to those who had betrayed Jesus, and to give power that they would go forth and live on mission with God. That's the work of the gospel, God's rescue breathing. God gives us our breath back. Now I realize this all sounds a little bit abstract maybe to you. And so I want to end by um, trying to illustrate it, apply it a little bit more directly to your life. I want to go back to those areas I talked about before. Remember, I talked about how many of you are parents with young kids and you uh, feel like your spirit is broken just by the responsibility of tending to them. I want you to know today that God, through Jesus, gives you your breath back. How does he do that? Well, I think it starts with you stopping trying to be enough or to be everything. Because some of our exhaustion, some of our weariness comes from trying to measure up to this standard as a parent, or as a husband, or as a friend. That's impossible. Remember what God says. God says, I am. 
I am. I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. I am enough. When you aren't enough, I am. When you feel insufficient, I am. When you feel weak, I am. Remember what God has told us. That will give you your spirit back. Now, for those of you who feel enslaved by sin today, under this burden of harsh slavery, well, how does the good news apply to you? It applies to you by remembering that God says, I have. Specifically, I have set you free from the things that enslave you. Jesus' death on the cross, Jesus' resurrection from the grave, it has broken the power of sin in your life. I have done it. We're talking about this idea in our uh, city group this past week. And someone shared this great little phrase that, that she learned years and years ago. It's that when you feel under uh, the, the, the power, the grip of sin as slavery, remember that the verdict is in. You're free. God has set you free from shame and from guilt from the consequences of your sin. The great image that Tom gave us this afternoon, the pile of clothes, it's gone. And in its place, the righteousness of Christ, like a folded basket of laundry. God says, I have. Do not go back to enslave yourself. You know what happens for a lot of us is we feel that freedom. We, we accept that the verdict's in related to our slavery to sin and then we re-enslave ourselves to these human measures of performance and achievement. Don't do it. Don't create another law that enslaves. You have been set free. Christ says to you today, I have done it. Your chains are loosed. And finally, what about those of you who are angry with God today? disappointed with God, disappointed the way your life has turned out, and it's not the way that you thought it would. Well, God says to Moses, I am, I have, and I will. And I think for those of us who are angry at God, this is the essential piece. We have to remember that we're not in glory yet, because our anger with God, our disappointment with God, our frustration is often because our eyes aren't on the finish aren't on the promise. And just as the Israelites needed to be reminded of the promise of what God would do, remember, they're still in slavery at this point, but God says, I will take you to the promised land. He says the same thing to you today. And it's hard to see, and it's even harder to believe. It's hard to listen, but friends, it is the truth. I will That is God's rescue. I am, I have, and I will. He loves you so much. Why is that photo of the kiss of life so powerful? I think one of the reasons it's so powerful is because it's so intimate. It's a, it's a man with his lips on another man's lips. Rescue is very intimate. It's true spiritually as well. It's crazy to let God into the dark places of our hearts and lives. 
But if we want to be set free, we have to let him into those places. And mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, we wouldn't do it under any other circumstances. But we do it in those circumstances because we're so desperate. Are you desperate for the rescue of Jesus? Are you desperate for God's kiss of life? We have to know how desperate we are in order to see the glory of God's rescue of us in Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, we thank you for your word for the ways that it allows us to consider our lives and the places where we feel broken and afraid and crushed. We thank you even more so for the ways that it helps us better understand and see how Christ has rescued us. Would you give us the courage and the faith today to receive Jesus' kiss of life? We pray this in his name. Amen.